Today's study uh, will be study number 64 in our series called Angels and Giants, Fact or Fiction. And the date stamp for today is going to be 10-23-22. Our purpose, as we continually state going through this series, is to investigate the angels and giants mentioned in Scripture. And by doing so, uh, try to alleviate some of the confusion that some Scripture verses uh, seem to generate for some folks, uh, and that's our that's our purpose uh, is to have a study. I, I don't mind leaving you with questions, but I don't want to leave you with confusion. And don't don't mistake uh, having something that you haven't answered yet for being confused because they're not the same thing. Uh, not knowing something can be fixed. That's just ignorance of whatever it is we're looking at. And that can be corrected by study and prayer and meditation and, and the leadership of God's Spirit. So don't don't be discouraged and uh, don't be confused because the Scriptures should not lead to confusion. They may lead to more questions. But God is not the author of confusion. Everybody that's under the hearing of my voice I'm, I know is aware of that fact. Uh, confusion, chaos, all these undesirable traits come from the dark side and that's what we're looking at so um, don't let uh, don't let that kind of get you down uh, last week we we covered revelation chapter 13 and and the angelic references that are in there and some of the beings uh, that are in there and we kind of completed revelation 13 although we didn't uh, dad and I were talking after the fact and we we realize that there were some important things that the Apostle Paul had to say about this beast. Remember we read in 13 that, that our, our man on the ground, John, at the Revelation, our news reporter who is there on the scene, is reporting that he saw this beast rise up out of the ocean. And he also saw a lesser beast, the second beast, that spoke and preached and urged uh, everybody to give their worship to the first beast. Well, as we went through these things, I, I pointed out that you basically have here an un, unholy triune, uh, that parallels the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Here you have Satan, the beast, and the other beast. And one sort of parallels, it's a counterfeit as Dorothea, so, um, well pointed out last week that you know when God does something, Satan's answer is usually a counterfeit. And we all know from counterfeiting that if you know if you got a hundred dollar bill, and, and they are more and more difficult to counterfeit nowadays. But you know uh, the best counterfeit is one that looks the most like the real thing that you can get, because then the user just immediately grabs it, tries to use it. Whoever spent it with you, you know, you took it as legal tender. But the problem is, though it may look really, really good, it is just as phony as a $100 bill printed in red ink. You know, a bad counterfeit, you know, somebody hands you a bad counterfeit, you're like, whoa, wait a minute here. This looks like Monopoly money. I'm not taking that. So the key to counterfeiting is to get the counterfeit to be as close to the real thing as you can get it so that it's readily accepted. 
without you, question. You, you know, we looked at 14 and 15 and, and 13, and I went back and looked some this week, and it talks about the image of the beast. Well, if you look that up in, in, in the Greek, image is icon. Yeah. An icon. Well, we use icons like on computer screens right. and everything. They represent something they represent else. Represent something. Yeah. And, and if it, if it, well, the representation is there. Right. It looks like the real thing. Exactly, and that's and what a counterfeit is. And the closer you can make it look, the more the more readily people just take it right in and go right on. Don't question it, you know, and, and you may even go and try to, to spend this counterfeit bill. Yeah. So that's kind of where we were. That's, yeah, exactly, exactly, Jason, they certainly did. That's kind of where we were with Revelation 13 last week, but it came to my, as Dad and I were talking when the study was over, I missed some, uh, some pretty important scripture that Paul wrote that dealt with this just shortly before the coming of the Lord was scheduled to take place back in the first century A.D. And I don't know if you were aware of this or not, but what I want to do this morning, just kind of as a follow-up before we completely leave Revelation 13 and all the counterfeits going there, Paul in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, makes a point in the chapter, in uh, chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, that we need to go back and read. And I, as the more I read it, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I got to bring this out this morning. We've got to look at it. And what I want you to realize is where Paul wrote Thessalonians is probably in the early A.D. 50s or so. I believe, and you can agree or disagree, that per the prophecy of Daniel, and the 70 weeks of weeks that the coming of the Lord, Daniel 9, that the actual return of the Lord to the earth in the Lord's day, the Lord's day was prophesied to take place in A.D. 85. Now you can, you can go back and study Daniel 9 and you can look at the, the benchmarks of the time element that are given there. I'm not going to, I don't have time to pull everybody through that study this morning. But I urge you to go back and look at Daniel 9 and do the math for yourself. You also might want to look at the, the going forth uh, to the command to build the temple or rebuild the temple and, and all these um, time elements that are, that are associated with that. But just for talking purposes this morning, Let's say that the the coming of the Lord was scheduled for A.D. 85. So if Paul wrote Second Thessalonians early in A.D. 50. He's less than he's probably around 30, a little over 30 years from the culmination of all things. Now put yourself in that position for just a minute. You're a man on the earth that has literally met the Lord face-to-face face on the Damascus Road. And you know these things to be true, and I'm sure Paul understands, if anybody did, the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. So if Paul is sitting here, and he's 30 years or so from these things taking place, in his mind, 
with what he sees there is to do, there's just not much time. And in dealing with schedules is one of those things I have to do. I hate it, but schedules is a part of the of a project engineer's life. I know Barney knows this. Anybody that deals with you know spending the company's money and doing projects understands that you know the schedule kind of rules that you have to you know people expect their return on their investment fairly quickly after they invest a certain amount of money. So a schedule is an important thing. And I'm sure that Paul, as he sat there with this dispensation that had been given to him and the things that he had to do regarding the Gentiles at this time, he's sitting there looking at all that has to be done and knowing that he doesn't have very long to do it. And you can read in 1 Thessalonians 4 that Paul even believed that at the time that the Lord returned, that he would still be alive. So that's one of the best proofs that Thessalonians is written just prior to when Paul thought that the Lord would return to the earth. Is that? A, I think that's a fair. I believe it's a fair statement to say that, and I believe that's one of those things that is easy enough to prove that we kind of all agree on. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. We can talk about it after the fact. Um, if you want, but I just, I'm trying to lay the groundwork here so that as we get into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that you will understand what's going on with the Apostle Paul and where he is in the time frame of what's happening regarding the great and terrible day of the Lord. You read about it in Isaiah 2, Isaiah chapter 2, uh, Joel chapter 14. I mean, there's there's lots of prophecies concerning this great and terrible day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is terrible. It is. Um, those people that, you know, we, we talked about them before. Boy, I wish the Lord would come back today. Well, I respectfully submit they haven't read the same scriptures as I have. Because when he comes back, it's, and we, we've read about it. It's you know, Some of the things we've read in Revelation, not really the kind of place you'd want to spend vacation. I'll just put it like that. Not not a not a good vacation stay at all. And as a matter of fact, there won't be a good vacation stay anywhere on the earth when it comes down to that day because it's going to be bad news. Uh, he's not coming as a babe in a manger when he returns. I will tell you that for a fact. So turn with me with that in mind. The second letter to the Thessalonians that Paul wrote. And we'll go in, in chapter 2, but I'll call your attention, if you would, if you have a companion Bible, and it's on page, Dad does this, and I love it on Wednesday nights. It's on page 1794 in the companion Bible, which is the structure of the epistle as a whole of Second Thessalonians. The structure of the book. The, the very structure of the epistle and you can see that it's written uh, as as uh, Mr. Welch points out in introversion and extended alternation. And these these structures were not put in the scripture. They were just discovered to be there by men who were way more blessed in their understanding of scripture evidently than Ronnie is. But these structures are, to me are very important in what they reveal and what they do. First Thessalonians 2, if you look down through it, 
If you look at the the A and the A, you've got the Epistle to Terry uh, introduction and the uh, Epistle to Terry conclusion. Uh, and both of them are peace and grace. Then if you look at B and B inside of that, you have thanksgiving beginning in both sections. Well, the first begins at the very first of the book in chapter 1, verse 3. And then the other one is in chapter 2, verse 13. you got thanksgiving again there. But what I want you to look at is in the first B, the admonition that takes place in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Admonition is a warning. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And then there's another warning at the end of the book. So you see how the structures work and how you can tie different parts of the book together to to help you understand what the author is trying to say. And, I, and to me, the structures always, they help me a lot in, in our in understanding. So hopefully you can see that. Turn with me this morning, if you would, and we'll begin, now that I've laid all that groundwork, so to say, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, you're saying, well, Ronnie, how does, how does this line up with Revelation chapter 13? Well, that's what I'm about to show you because Paul talks about this beast here in Thessalonians. Remember, when Paul wrote Second Thessalonians, he's roughly 30 years from these things taking place. He believed when he wrote First Thessalonians that he was going to be alive and remain. He talks about them that are going to be resurrected will not precede those of us who are alive and remain at his coming. If Paul thought he was going to be alive and remain, it can't be very far away. Think about that. If I said, y'all, whenever this happens, those of us who are alive and remain, are, you know, this is going to happen, and then uh, these other things are going to happen, well, you would say, well, in your mind, Ronnie believes that he's going to be alive when this takes place. Well, that's exactly what's going on here with Paul. He believes he will be alive to witness the coming of the Lord. Now, something intervened that changed God's plan. And the AD 85 plan kind of got put on hold. It got pushed out. And that thing was the rejection of Israel as a nation. And Paul pronouncing uh, Isaiah 6 on them, that hearing you don't hear, See and you don't see, be it known unto you, therefore, that the salvation of God is sent to the Gentiles and they'll hear it. Acts 28, 28 intervened. And what was supposed to happen 30 years from where Paul wrote Second Thessalonians has been in abeyance for over 2,000 years because of this mystery. The mystery of the church, the body of Christ. And we're going to see another mystery here in Second Thessalonians this morning. I didn't know if you knew about that. But there's a mystery in Second Thessalonians, and we're going to see it. So read with me. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, Now we beseech you, brethren. Well, who are the brethren? Well, they're the Thessalonians. That's easy. That's like who's buried in Grant's tomb. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming, the parousia, you see that? By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and by our gathering together unto him. Wow, if he's going to beseech you by the coming, this must be a pretty big statement he's about to make. I urge you to listen to me by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. See, he talks even here about a gathering together. No no uh, admonition about a resurrection or anything here. I believe he still believes that he's going to be alive and remain when the Lord returns. So he, he urges them by our gathering together unto him that you, here's the, here's what I'm telling you folks, do not be soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ, and here if you look this up, it should be the Lord's day. The day of the Lord is at hand. Paul still here in Second Thessalonians says the day of the Lord is right here at us. Not going to be very long and it's going to take place. So don't be troubled. You don't have to wait much longer, Paul says. You don't have to fight much longer. So what is he warning against? Remember? The, the, the outline said that this was an admonition. So what is his admonition? Well, that's it right there in verse 2. But what could possibly cause you to be shaken from these things that you believe in? If you think about it. What was he actually warning that they looked? Look out for as far as something that would shake them in mind or in spirit. Well, it's, it's that spirit of iniquity. Let's read on. He says, I, um, that ye be, uh, verse two, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, that the day of the Lord is at hand. I just corrected that in the, in the, it shouldn't be the day of Christ. The day of Christ is a totally different day and that has to deal with our hope. The day of the Lord is what the subject is here. The coming. The parousia. That's what Thessalonians is all about. Dad's friend in uh, South Georgia. Really, we, we end up talking, he talks to her and she listens to this guy that Evidently on TV, he's just on Thessalonians all the time about that being our hope. First and second. Yeah, it's always first and second. That's kind of their Ephesians. Yeah. And and it's just not the case. This is this is for a previous dispensation. Well, that count, that comes from the uh, the men associated with uh, the Church of Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, moving on, it says, Paul said, let no man deceive you by any means. There's your admonition. Somebody can deceive you. We don't have very far to go. Don't let this happen. The scripture almost always admonishes the believer to persevere to the end. The teleos, the logical outcoming of our faith. Hang in there till the very end. Don't give an inch. Don't let up. Don't let anything shake your faith. That's what he says. Is what you know for all dispensations. That's pretty much the message. Don't let anything shake your faith. Let no man deceive you. He says in verse three, by any means, 
for that day shall not come. And that's that's all added. But that day that shall not come is the Lord's day. He means the Lord's day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Except there come apostasy. So just he basically saying here, look, it's going to get worse before it gets better. There's going to be what the the word is apostasy here. I believe in the Greek for that phrase, but the it's translated unless except there come a falling away first, and that's a falling away from the truth of the faith that Paul was preaching to these Thessalonians. He said, "Don't let any man come in there and shake you, either in mind or, or by spirit. Don't don't let it happen." Here's the admonition. Here's the warning that he's put now. So let's read the rest of that verse. Here's where it connects to Revelation 13. So if if we're sitting here and we're only 30 years from this happening, then the things dealing with this man of perdition are only 30 30 years away from happening as well, right? Because we know the progression of what's going to happen. This is what he says. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, or apostasy, and that man of sin be revealed. The son of perdition. You see that? Now let's read about, let's read a little bit about this son of perdition. Here Paul makes the warning. Don't be deceived in any way, for the the Lord's day will not come until after you see this son of perdition revealed. How did Paul know this? You know how he knew it? Because just like us, he had already read Revelation 13. He knew. John wrote the Revelation, I believe, at least ten years before Paul is writing what he's writing here to the Thessalonians. Because he tells the Thessalonians, of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. He basically is kind of quoting Revelation as he goes along. So Paul knew Revelation. And here he's going to talk about this son of perdition. This beast that comes up out of the sea. So let's read on. Verse 4. So the day is not going to come unless there become a falling away first. And that son of, that man of perdition be revealed, the son of perdition. Listen to this. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Sound familiar? It should. He's gonna, he's gonna oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or above all that is worshiped so that he as God. Remember what we read in Revelation 13? He is going to be the object of worship. Satan is going to set up this beast as the object of worship. And when they worship the beast, guess what? Satan just beams. Mm-hmm. 
because he has blinded the minds and stolen the hearts of humans away from the true and living God and the worship that he deserves. So he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Worship me, I am God. That's basically going to be the message. Paul says, remember ye not? Wow. Yeah, I probably will, Jason. He will call himself the real Messiah. Don't believe all that stuff that you've heard and read before. Look at what I can do. Look at where I sit. Look at the power that I have. You think you'll be on television? Anybody understand the power that the media has today? Oh yeah, he'll be on TV. No doubt. Remember ye not, Paul says in verse 5, that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Paul says, don't you remember we talked about this? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time. What what yet is to be done, Paul says. Paul says, now you know what withholdeth. How do they know? I'll tell you how they know, because they have the book of the Revelation available to them. Paul writes Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, I believe, with the understanding that the believers that he's writing it to have some understanding of the book of Revelation. It, it, that's the only thing that makes sense. If you look at the way he wrote it. To me, I mean, to me it's pretty obvious. He, he writes Thessalonians as if these people already understand the revelation. I think they do. He said, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. What has yet to be remained to do that he might be revealed in his time? This is where it gets interesting. And this is where it hooks up to Satan being restricted to the second heaven, as we've talked about. Let's read verse 7. This is the key verse, I believe. And we're going to look at some of the companion Bible notes here on verse 7. Paul says, for the mystery of iniquity. This is not the mystery of the church, the body of Christ by any means. Did you know that there was a mysterion anomia? A mystery of iniquity? There are lots of mysteries in the scripture. There's a mystery of godliness. The mystery concerning the church, the body of Christ. Here it's the mystery of iniquity. The mystery of lawlessness. The secret lawlessness that Satan's operating under. Did you know this existed? This is really interesting when you take a look at it. The secret of lawlessness doth already work. What? Paul says. Paul says it already works. He says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work in the present day that he's talking from, writing to the Thessalonians. He said, this mystery of iniquity doth already work 
Only, listen to this, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Do you see that? Listen to this. This is this mystery of iniquity or the secret lawlessness. To this he Satan holds fast as the war still wages in the second heaven. That word letteth there means to hold. God is warring with his angels against Satan in the heavens. But until it comes full on God's timetable, it will remain as the status quo. You remember the angel that came to Daniel. And he said, Daniel, I have a message for you. But I was withheld 21 days because I had to stop and fight against the, the prince of Persia. And I would still be there had Michael the archangel not come and help me. And I come to you today to give you this message. It's basically what the angel that escaped the battle came to tell Daniel when he was in captivity. To give him the prophecy. And to also reveal to us that there is a war raging in the heavens, in the second heavens right now, outer space. There is a war that's there. And it says, only who, he who now letteth will let. Now we need to look at those words. Hang on just a minute while I pop my uh, power Bible open. Because I wanted to bring some of those words out for you here. Uh, this, uh, he who now letteth, the word letteth there is katecho, or katecho, and it literally means to hold fast or to hold something down, to have or to hold. So it says only he who now holds will hold it until he be taken out of the way. He is holding his position in that second heaven until Paul says there's a day when he's taken out of the way. Well, guess what? They know about that day because it's written in Revelation chapter 12. That there comes a day when the war in heaven between Michael and his angels and Satan and his angels, where Satan loses and he and the remainder of his angels are cast to the earth. And they bring about the great tribulation that the earth goes through. Because the scripture says, Woe be unto you that are on the earth. Joy to you that are in the heavens, because now the heavens are cleansed. But woe to you that be on the earth in those days. Not going to be, uh, as I said, not going to be actually a vacation spot that you'd want to visit. Woe be unto you that are that'll be on the earth in those days. So a very important verse, verse seven. Let's look at the notes in the companion Bible. I didn't want to. I did not want to skip over those. Uh, if you if you look at the the word let it there and let it on in the notes on page uh, seventeen ninety six on verse seven of Second Thessalonians two, let it means hold fast. And the note says uh, so the Greek kateko is in verse six. It says supply the ellipsis by there is one who holds fast instead of by repeating the verb will let, but. but Kateko is a transitive verb, and an object must be supplied too. So all the verse, 
uh, all the occurrences in verse 6. And he said, if the subject be Satan, the object must be his position in the lawlessness or in the, no, it must be his position in the heavenlies, as it says in Ephesians 6.12, from which he will be ejected by Michael in Revelation 12.7-9. through 9. So evidently, Mr. Bullinger and I came to the same conclusion. That there's coming a point when Satan is going to be ejected from the game in the heavens. In the second heavens. He is not where God is in the super heavenlies. In the upon heavens. Trust me. He's on the, God is on the other side of the ice. Satan is on this side of the ice in outer space. However big it is, he's got reign over that. And he can go anywhere there he pleases. And he can look like a UFO if he pleases. You see my point? Can't trust what you see. All lying wonders. Even now, I believe. So, something to think about there. So, the note says if the subject be Satan, and I want to reiterate this, and I believe it is, the object must be his position in the heavenlies, as it says in Ephesians 6, 12, from which he will be ejected by Michael, as it says in Revelation 12, 7 through 8. And you can also, you also have the testimony of the angel that spoke to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 that was there. That was withheld by Satan during this, during his descent from God to the earth. That blows my mind. That the scripture talks of such things and we never discuss it. That we, we never, we never really consider it. But if you believe the word, these things really happen. And they prove a great deal of what we need to know about what's going on in this world around us. About what we can expect to happen here. So I wanted to make that point about verse 7. And I wanted to make sure that you saw that. Let's read on because I am really running out of time here. It says, And then shall that wicked be revealed. That wicked is the uh, the lawless one. This beast that comes up out of the sea. His coming, so to say, is after the working of Satan. So this refers to the beast that rises up. This doesn't refer to Satan. This is the one that's going to get all the worship. So Paul says, And then shall that wicked be revealed. Or after Satan is cast down to the earth. And, that, and we... We've already seen that by looking at Revelation 12 and Revelation 13. So Paul expects the Thessalonians to understand that as well. In my mind. I think he's writing to these people with an understanding that they should understand the book of the Revelation. They've had it for years. Then shall that we can be revealed, verse 8, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. We've read that in Revelation as well. So that kind of reiterates who this is that we're talking about here. Listen to this, verse verse 9. And here's where it re- refers to Revelation 13, 13. This being, this son of perdition that we're talking about here, which leads me more and more to believe he's a single entity, that may have a lot of different connections, 
even him, it says, verse 9, whose coming is after the working of Satan. You see that? With all power and signs and lying wonders. Very powerful being that very easily convinces most of the world, hey, I'm the real Messiah. Look where the power is. I'm the real deal, y'all. Another counterfeit. Verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. The whole thing is designed to hoodwink mankind into disbelief and into worshiping the wrong one. Just a big counterfeit. It's all designed to make them take that really well-made counterfeit $100 bill. And they'll suck it right up. And they'll take it and go right on. Verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Because they want to be deceived, God is going to say, Okay, I'll, I'll give you the, the mindset to do it. Just like he did with uh, the nation of Israel. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul says, but. And then here is where it turns around again. I think verse 12 is the end of the admonition. But here's where it turns around. Paul says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. And this is regarding the kingdom message that was preached beginning with the Lord Jesus Christ in his life in Matthew chapter 4. He says in verse 14, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord's day. Therefore, Paul says in verse 15, Therefore, brethren, here's the final message based on everything I just told you, Paul says. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. You see that? Same thing he said at the first of the chapter. Do not be soon shaken in mind or spirit. Stand fast. And that's what we got to do. Against all these things that come at us. You got to stand fast. Plant your feet and don't be moved. And I'm one to preach because sometimes my feet get pretty squirrely. Stand fast. And hold the traditions, Paul says, which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And then he says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts. See that? He closes out with the comfort of their hearts. May this God, he says, 
comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and every good work, which were very important in this dispensation. Then he says uh, in verse 3, I mean chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll, we'll stop here for today. But he says, finally, brethren, pray for us. And that's exactly what I would have you do for us. And pray for us as we pray for you. And we'll stop there for today. I hope, I hope in going back over these, these things that Paul had to say about this son of perdition here in, uh, here in 2 Thessalonians 2 really helped you because the more I looked at it, the more I'm like, we can't skip over this. We've got to go back and look as it was looming, as the day was quickly approaching, as Paul was literally living in a day when he would be alive when this thing took place, it all had to be brought out. I think it, it was very, I think it was something that, that we left out last week that you just got to go back and, and fill in the gap. So I appreciate your time and your patience with us this morning and um, really blessed by everybody who has joined here. Uh, again, we covet your prayers. Thank you for those that pray for us daily, those that have um, sent gifts, those that have called with encouragement, just everybody and everything that, that's going on as, as um, we go through our um, course here. We, we are, we're more than, more than thankful and we love you more than, than you know. And, uh, we really truly do mean that. We think of and, and talk about this family of people more, uh, than you can imagine and on a daily basis because you guys are our life and we, we certainly appreciate all the gifts and just everything that's poured in. But we mainly covet those prayers. Please keep them coming because we can feel them. So bow with us if you would, and we'll close. And uh, then, if we're um, if we're having a Arizona study this morning, we'll oh, we do have a lesson today. Great, thank you, Barney. And uh, so we'll see where we are with that. So God bless you. Bow with us, Father. We thank you for this time. We thank you for those that have come this way, and Lord, for their testimony, and for the the love that we feel, the prayers that we feel, uh, Father, for the support that we feel from. This group of people, Father, we, we thank you so much for them. And we ask that if, that if it be thy will, that you would continue to bless them uh, in their understanding of your word. Father, thank you for this word and for that that it brings us, Father, for the understanding that comes from rightly dividing it. Father, thank you for all things that we have in Christ. But most of all, Father, for that precious blood. Because without the blood, everything is powerless to move forward. And God, we're thankful that you sent it. We're thankful that you have redeemed us from the power of this evil that we, we read about so readily in the book of Revelation. Uh, again, be with us. Continue to lead God and bless us. And Father, uh, we pray that you would bless us in all that we uh, endeavor to do in your name. For it's in Christ's name today we humbly pray. Amen.